Steve rolling up, down and dirty um, uh, task of going out and delivering the captives. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. So we have a rescuing calling. All right, Isaiah 58, verse 6, if you found it. Um, I uh, just want to share a few minutes. And, uh, and when I'm finished, I'm going to invite Layla to come up. Layla is our newly minted Mission Freedom Director. We recently, just months ago, launched a whole new mission initiative to uh, support ministries that are working around the world in the area of human trafficking and ministries right here in our backyard, right here in Tampa Bay. And we have a guest speaker this morning that God has raised up and God is using her in a powerful way right here in Tampa Bay. And I'm going to say a little bit more about Edie in a few moments. But uh, Layla's going to come give you about a five-minute update in a moment. I've, I've, yeah, I've still got a little bit of preaching in me. i got to get it out. You know, otherwise I'll just be sitting there bouncing my knees. So Isaiah 58 and verse 6. Listen to what God said through the prophet Isaiah. Is not this the fast that I have chosen? To release the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every enslaving yoke. That's what God expects of us. That is our ministry and our calling. And so this morning, you may end up throughout the service, and certainly before the service is over, asking yourself, where in my life am I directly involved with um, releasing the bonds of wickedness, undoing bands of the yoke, uh, letting the oppressed go free, and breaking enslaving yokes? And uh, so praise the Lord, you may get an answer this morning about where you are engaged in that ministry. And many of you are engaged in that ministry right now as we, Faith Christian Church, are in the middle of a 21-day fast to begin our year seeking the face of God because fasting and prayer is exactly the ground on which God meets with his troops, hallelujah, who are in the battle and strengthens and gives them direction and takes them from, from uh, sitting back mode and inactivity and prepares and sends them out into activity. You can read it throughout the Bible, um, all kinds of great examples. As I said before this morning, we're going to welcome Edie Ray, is her name in a little bit. She is the uh, head, the uh founder and head of Healing Root Ministries, and you may remember seeing her on the WEDU uh, TV presentation, the special Too Close for Home, Human Trafficking in Tampa Bay. She was all over that video and, and really touched our hearts. So we're looking forward to hearing her own story of God's deliverance of her life out of human trafficking and how she turned around and has become a mighty instrument in the hand of God to deliver other women and to help them uh, to get established in a new life in Christ. And I'm just excited to hear the story. Let me just say a couple of things about human trafficking and why it's relevant to Faith Christian Church this morning. First of all, human trafficking is the fastest growing crime in the world today. Nearly a $99 billion industry, if you can imagine that. It's absolutely horrible when you think of that kind of money and that kind of industry that is prospering on the backs of uh, captives and victims. 
The world's law enforcement agencies are unable to stop or even slow down the rate of growth of human trafficking because ultimately it's controlled by Satan's influence over human nature. That is what drives it. And that's why no government will be able to solve this problem. No agency will be able to break this rising epidemic. Only by the power of the Holy Spirit, operating through the praying, fasting church of Jesus Christ, can the demonic chains that empower human trafficking and its industry be broken. Only by the anointing of the Holy Spirit is there going to be an impact that can break these chains and release these captives. Listen, people, many of you, and I just want to encourage you, we're midway through our fast. This is day 13, and uh, I want to encourage you, go for your goal. Uh, by now, I'm sure you've gotten traction in the Holy Spirit and you're moving in God. But you know there's that place that's kind of out in the middle of the ocean where all of a sudden you get the dead calm and the sails go flat and you're just sitting there baking in the sun, a little confused, wondering, what am I doing? All I can think about is a cheeseburger. And we all get like that. It's, we're coming to that point of weakness. We're coming to the place where we feel the helplessness of the flesh to come up with a program where in, in that moment, it's at that moment that the best thing you could do is to look up and realize that I can't, but he can. And that's the grace of God. Hallelujah. When we fast and pray, we not only seek God for freedom from oppressions and stalemates in our own lives, but we're called by God to join him in his fast. Isaiah 58 said, is this not the fast I have chosen? So God's fast, he calls us to join him. We're called to join his fast, breaking demonic bonds over others, other victims of oppression and slavery. Let me say it like this. Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give. If there was a Christian motto, that would, that would be tossed in the ring as a consideration. It really should be. Freely you've received, freely give. Unfortunately, much of Christianity's devolved into churchianity so that freely we receive, and then freely, week by week, month by month, year by year, we just go to church and work on keeping what we got, polishing the silver and the crystal. But that's not why God saved us. He saved you to be a reflection of, a fountain of his glory, of his power, so that we go out and give what God has given to us. Praise the Lord. Can you say amen? So it's not going to be by the agencies of governments, but by a fasting church that shattered lives and shattered people are restored to life again. In that same scripture where Jesus talked about, or excuse me, where, where God talked through Isaiah, um, about uh, the fast that I've chosen. He went on and said, if you fast the fast that I've chosen, if you join with me and you release the captives and, and, uh, and break those bonds, then you will be called repairers of the breach. 
and restorers of streets to dwell in. In other words, God has called you to the business of taking shattered lives and working with them and bringing them to a, out of, not just out of captivity and then set them free and say, okay, you're free, little bird, go run, go live your life and, and enjoy the Lord. But uh, you and I know that a lot, maybe even most people, come out of darkness and they need discipling. They need ministry. They need mercy. They need teaching. They need um, all kinds of things. You're going to hear a little bit about it this morning. But God has said, we are called to the business of repairing streets for them to dwell in. So let me close with this comment and then Layla's going to come up. Um, when you are fasting and praying this afternoon, the next few days, and you're wrestling with things that you have mentioned on this prayer table that you've put on this table regarding your prayer requests, things that have to do with your life, and that's absolutely appropriate. You know, when you're flying, the mass drops down if, if the cabin pressure uh, decreases, and they say, put the mask on yourself first before you help others. You can't deliver people if you're not delivered. If you're walking in bondage, you're not going to be able to deliver others out of bondage. And the church itself, Christians need to get out of bondage and get set free. So it's appropriate. Start with getting yourself out of that stalemate that you've been in. But then realize that freedom and that that that. Uh, endorsing uh, anointing and fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit upon your life is for the purpose of setting others free. And so you need to get at it while it's fresh and go out there and set them free. And just keep this image in your mind and then Layla's going to come up. The fasting and the praying and seeking God that you're doing today is for a moment six months from now when you stand before a shattered woman or a man somewhere out in the public and there is lost and without an ability to get traction in their life as they could be when you share the gospel of Jesus Christ with that person because you're fasting today to break that bond because you are praying today to release that captive from their captivity Today, and you're banking up that anointing, that power in prayer, intercession today, six months from now when you stand before them, you will speak a simple one or two sentences and the power of God will fall and move upon them. And you'll say, you know, I've done this a thousand times. I've never seen results like this. Well, that's what happens when the anointing's in it, when the power of God's in it. Hallelujah. That's what prayer and fasting does. It connects you with the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And God will endorse himself. You just need to be bold. And so don't you want that to happen? Don't you want to share with somebody a week from now, a month from now, somewhere down the road, and see the power of God? Deliver them. All of a sudden, the Apostle Paul shows up on the inside of you. I'm joking, figuratively speaking. Just We get visitors. Sometimes people walk out and say, oh, they believe some really strange stuff. Um, you know, but the, the, figuratively speaking, the Apostle Paul jumps up within you, and you look at that person and say, rise up and stand on your feet in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. And they jump up, and they're healed. Glory to God. You say, was that me? Well, yes, it was you, and it was Jesus working together. Hallelujah. 
So keep that in mind as we're fasting and praying. We are believing to break the yokes over our city and to deliver the captives. Layla, come there and share with us this morning what is happening with Mission Freedom. And then she's going to introduce our guest this morning, Edie Ray. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. So happy to see everybody's face. I just want to kind of give you an update as to what uh, the two missions that we are supporting, what they're kind of doing, and also um, in our own community, in our own backyard. So uh, some exciting news in our government. President Trump has signed four major bipartisan pieces of legislation passed into law in recent weeks to punish perpetrators, protect and support victims, and prevent these horrific crimes of human trafficking. So that means that both parties, Dems, Republicans, are both on board with getting uh, stricter laws out there to punish these uh, bad guys and uh, to help the victims. So that's really exciting that uh, our government is noticing that and doing something about it. Okay, so uh, I want to talk about Operation Underground Railroad. Uh, this is really cool. Through donations, including ours, they have been able to purchase a mobile lab. In this lab, they can collect digital evidence of traffickers uploading pornography, and normally this evidence is sent off to a lab, so they have to wait about five to six months normally to make an arrest, which is Ridiculous, because by then, you know, the trafficker and the victim have already uh, left, you know. So uh, now they can see the evidence, make the arrest, and save the children who are being abused right there and then. That is huge, you know. That is huge. So praise God for that. Yes. Yes. They have a, mm -hmm. and it's an undercover, like a big, uh, trailer sort of thing. Um, they even talked about maybe even selling like tacos or something from it to really make it undercover. But it, this is so huge that they are doing this and that people like us are supporting these efforts. So uh, I'd like to talk about All Things Possible Ministries. Um, Victor Marks. Victor and his team were recently in Israel visiting the West Bank, which I believe is primarily Muslim. Is that correct? and uh, refugee camp sharing the gospel, ministering to the displaced families from ISIS, and more often than not, children who have lost their parents. So this is huge. I mean, these, these are broken people. These are hurting people, and they've been there for a while. So for them to minister the gospel, that is amazing. Um, and also, Victor Marx is also doing events reaching men who struggle with porn addictions. I was listening to him on a radio show, and uh, I will read what he quoted. Pornography is the spiritual ISIS in America. I want you all to remember that pornography is a leading drive behind trafficking. So for him to be addressing it is, is huge. That's, that's the root of it. So praise God that um, the Lord has blessed him with being able to speak about this and people act men receiving this you know so praise god for what uh the lord is using him to do and uh so i would like to share a little bit about local outreach we recently attended an event in tampa where we met several survivors who were in the wedu too close to home ed was there these women are doing an oppressive amount of work in the tampa bay area and beyond um, 
We also had the opportunity to talk with attorney Brent Woody and his wife. And for those of you that don't know, Mr. Woody is the attorney who wrote the legislation for the state of Florida to have records expunged for those who've been trafficked so that they will be able to be employed. And not just employed, but be able to give back to work with uh, traffic victims. So this is huge. This is setting these uh, people free um, and, and not labeling them as some you know bad person when they were actually the victims. So that is wonderful. And the majority of his work is pro bono. When I talked to him, he said 80% of his work was pro bono. So that is huge. And he, he's, he's been led by the Lord, him and his wife. So. Everyone we met there, they truly love the Lord. You know, this is, this is all possible because of Christians' convictions and doing something about it. You know, because we have the hope. We have an answer to this. Um, and there are more events coming and volunteer opportunities. I will let you know about these. We are prayerfully seeking the Lord on a clear vision for the church and what his plan is. So please continue praying, and remember, you don't have to give just once a month. Give whenever your heart wants to give, you know. Um, so I just want to let you guys know that. And some other exciting news in our community. I will be volunteering at a booth for human trafficking awareness at the block party on Cleveland Street. And that is uh, downtown Clearwater, Saturday, February 9th. I invite all of you to come, um, and this is not like you need to talk about anything other than just getting in the community, showing your face, and being a light for Jesus. So I just want to say thank you to everybody who's been contributing and praying. Those are the biggest things that you can do right now. So thank you so much. And uh, uh, without further ado, I would like to invite Edie to come up and share her testimony and uh, what the Lord is doing with her and using her to do mighty things. So. There you oh, go. Sorry. <laughs> okay. All right. Good morning. Um, stand up there or back, wherever you're comfortable. Okay. Well. I've been to churches where they don't, they, pastors don't like that. So I'm, I'm okay with, no, no. with here and. <laughs> no, hop up there. If you want. If you want. I'm good. I jump up there and run around sometimes too. So you okay. Can you want. Okay. The house is yours. Oh, Lord. <laughs> um, well, first of all, thank you for inviting me and thank you for, for letting me worship with you guys this morning. Um, it was, it was truly amazing, so thank you. And you have a, a very talented and gifted pastor that plays and preaches. Wow. So God bless you. <laughs> um, so what I thought I would do this morning is, yes, share my story um, on trafficking, but also um, to talk about, um, you know, our home and um, what we're seeing and um, just um, some different things. So um, the ministry is Healing Root Ministry. We are a local ministry. Um, we're in Lutz, which is right outside of Tampa. Um, and the way that I got involved was um, many years ago, um, I was... Uh, 
I lived in, in Baltimore, Maryland, and um, I am the youngest of three daughters. And um, I grew up in, in, in a home that went to church, and my mom taught Sunday school, and my dad was involved in the church, and um, he had lots of health problems. And then he passed away when I was four. So it left my mom as, as the sole provider of our home. Um, so she went to work quickly after meeting a gentleman and moved him in six months after my dad passed away. And he really did take on that daddy figure role that every young girl wants. You know, that, that little girl that you sit on his lap and he tells you he loves you and, and, and he's your daddy. So he took on that role and I loved him. I really did. I loved, loved him. Um, I never even really thought of him as, as a stepdad or, or anything like that. Um, so um, he talked my mom into selling her home and we moved to Florida. Um, they, their plans was to open a meat store in, in the Riverview, which was right out of Brandon area. Um, and it would be the type of, of um, meat store that would slaughter the animal and prepare it. And uh, so they established it. It was running well. Um, they bought a home. It was a picture-perfect home. It really was. It was a four-bedroom, two-bath with a pool, the white picket fence. We lived probably three minutes from Bush Gardens. Um, so, I mean, it was really it, it, right down the road from a park. So it was, it was a, I was proud of that home. Um, quickly after getting in school in fourth by fourth grade, um, my whole world would be shook. Um, he would start sexually abusing me. And um, it lasted. Um, it was every night for years. Well, by 12 years old, um, I pretty much, I thought that this was normal, um, that all families did this. Um, I thought that um, it just, I mean, it was just a normal. I went to school with it the day that was my, my place that, um, my safe zone. Um, but also I endured a lot of shame and guilt. And um, just, I, I didn't want anybody to know what was going on. Um, so at 12, he started selling me. And I can remember the very first time that um, I was sold. It was very early in the morning, maybe 8 o'clock. And the time, the time that I left, the sun had already faded and the moon was out. 
My family had already ate dinner um, and was getting ready for bed. And um, it was hours and hours of abuse. Um, and it lasted for years. Um, by 12 also, I got pregnant by one of a person that purchased me and was made to have an abortion. And, and that's, I hate to say this, it, that's normalcy for victims of, of trafficking to get pregnant, to have an STD, an HIV, that's, that's normal. Um, so had the abortion and I went right back to school and played that there, you know, acted like there was nothing wrong. Um, that, that I was just normal. Um, there was many nights that um, in our house that, um, so our house was a ranch style and you could enter from either side of the house. So a lot of times the gentleman, my mom's boyfriend, um, people would park and they would come in to, to my bedroom through the back. Um, so even my home was not a safe place. Um, they would come in through the pool area into the bedroom um, while my mom was sleeping, of course. Um, by that time also, my mom was, had been dabbling in drugs and um, had went into full-blown um, now selling. She'd been um, locally selling, but then graduated to um, flying in the United States, bringing drugs in, which left um, me alone with, with my mom's boyfriend. Um, by 17, my mom finally said to me, you know, Edie, um, I'm kicking him out and I'm done. I just can't, I can't do this no more. I'm selling the house and he's going and so are you and, and you're not coming with me. Well, I was a young girl, slept a lot during class, didn't have a, a lot of education, which still, you know, I don't have, I don't have that college degree like I would like. Um, but um, so there was a gentleman that used to come to my mom's house and he would purchase drugs from her. And when my mom told me that she was kicking me out, I remembered, you know, this guy doesn't have a girlfriend. He doesn't have anybody. He looks like he needs, he needs a girlfriend. And so I, um, I called him up and I was like, hey, just want to know if you want to go out on a date. Um, and so we went out, and for, for, for me, and I think for a lot of survivors, we think that every man that we speak to, we're supposed to have sex with them. And 
sorry to use that sex in church, but. <laughs> so um, anyway, so that first night I had sex with them because that's what I knew. And then I got pregnant. My mom's answer what to me was, well, you know, you got pregnant, have an abortion. So um, started, continued to date the guy, and um, he was like, you're pregnant. I think we need to try to make this work. So we got married. I was nine months pregnant in a maternity dress, getting married. Never had a mother figure role, didn't know how to be a mother, nor a housewife. So um, anyway, got married, and but just because I was out of that lifestyle doesn't mean anything. I still had, you know, the everything that went on in my mind, all of those, those chains, those if you will. Um, so had my son, my oldest, he's 32. Um, but, you know, then I started using because I was out of the life using drugs, started smoking pot, using um, marijuana, um, cocaine, just the different things to numb all of that. Um, then uh, I got pregnant a second with my daughter. Um, she is 30 now. And just um, then having premarital, not premarital, affairs. Because I still believed in my mind that every time a guy said hello, I was still, still supposed to have sex with them. Um, Finally, on my 10th anniversary, my husband was like, listen, I can't do this anymore. It's not going to, this isn't going to work. Um, so we went down to the attorney's office, and I can remember that day really well um, because I cried. And um, I think it was more of a, oh, my God, Lord, what am I going to do? I don't have a job, I've got two kids. So I cried and just told him, I said, I promise you, I will start being the wife that you need me to be. And I, I really did put on, tried to put on that Pollyanna, perfect type gal, you know, and put on that mask. I, that's what I call it, is a mask. Um, that I was gonna do do the right thing and be the wife, and um, that worked for so long. It really did, um, but not for long. Continued to use drugs without him knowing. Had premier had affairs without him knowing. Then finally, he says, "Edie." You know, I don't know what has happened in your life, but something obviously has happened. So I shared a little bit with him, and he said, well, maybe, you know, you should seek some counseling. 
So I ran down to the, to the nearest counselor I could find, and um, she says, well, you need, to, you need to find maybe a psychiatrist. So I found a psychiatrist, and he was so gracious to pull out his pad and wrote, no lie, probably, well, 10, 10 prescriptions. And um, I just started for two years of my life numbing the pain with prescription drugs. And uh, things started with the prescription drugs and just the different things. I tried to commit suicide 12 different times. And I, I laughed then and sort of laughed now just saying, you know, I couldn't even kill myself right. Um, little did I know that God had a plan for my life. And uh, I'm here today because of him. So two years of my life, my husband with me, was with me, making sure that I got fed, putting me in the shower, making sure that I bathed because I was not able to take care of myself. After that two years, he was said to me, Edie, you know, we really, we can't live like, th like this. You're going to have to come off the meds, and you're going to have to, you're going to have to do this. It, it's it's got to happen, or this, our marriage is not going to work. So I remember the day that I went into the bedroom, handed everything to David, my husband, went back to the bedroom and locked the door for two weeks and detoxed off of Xanax, which Xanax and alcohol is the two hardest things to detox from. It, it could kill you. So came out those two weeks later, and um, it was hard. It was hard. I still felt with um, the shame and the guilt, the self-harm, Every time I looked in the mirror, I hated myself. I hated the person that I had become. That young girl I seen staring back at me. And then to, you know, um, to have to restart life again um, in front of my kids was hard. By then I had had a third child, which today she's 25. Um, and then to, to just, you know, to start life was hard. Um, so David's mom, you know, she was the, the, the faithful woman of, of the Lord, um, invited us to an Easter show at her church. And um, we were, our family, my husband and, and us, we were the, the Christmas, the Easter. That's what, you know, that was going to that was gonna save us going to, to those two services, not the personal relationship with Christ. Um, so we went that Easter, they sang, the pastor spoke, and it was, it was I mean, it, we were, we were um, touched. So the next Sunday, David said, Edie, we're gonna go to church again, and, um, I remember we're, we're a back pew type family, and sort of David and myself fought over the back pew 
um, who was going to sit closest to the end because we knew, um, we hadn't even talked about it, um, but we knew I was going to give my heart to Christ and he was going to give his, so we wanted to see who was going to get up the aisle the fastest. <laughs> so it, it's no lie. So we both gave our hearts to Christ um, and was baptized on, on um, Father's Day. Um, but I still had not dealt with all of the junk. Um, and so our pastor went years. He let me teach uh, a Sunday school class, and I sang in the choir, drove the church van, just so many things. And I never wanted to really share with anybody what went on in my life because I was so shameful. You know, people would judge me, or at least that's what I thought. Um, and then finally, we got a new pastor in, and he was a, a pastor that had um, some clinical background. And he said, Edie, I really think that you need to see some counseling, but maybe some Christian counseling. So I went and started working with on the shame and the guilt, the self-hatred, just so many things that survivors that we deal with. Um, and I, I thought, you know, well, this is going really great. This is good. Um, and in that time, she started talking to me about forgiveness. And I thought, you know what? I'm never going to forgive him. I'm never going to forgive my mom. I'm never going to forgive myself. That's just not going to happen. Well, by then, I had not seen him in several years, my mom's ex-boyfriend by then. And um, I, I hadn't seen him and didn't want to have any contact with him. So his two daughters called me and said, Edie, he's in the hospital in Brandon, and he's wanting to see you. And, you know, we'd like you to come. And I just thought to myself, you know, why? Why would I want to do this? He's going to harm me again. He's going to hurt me. You know, um, anyway, some reason, and I say the Lord, I got in my car and I drove to Brandon and I walked in and his two daughters were standing right there at, um, at the doors. And she was like, now listen, we need to be very careful how you speak to him. He's having heart trouble and you need to, you know, just, he wants to see you and that's it. So I said to ask him, let me use the restroom, get myself together, and I was able to, um, you know, compose myself is what I, what I needed to do. But when I went into the bathroom, the only thing that I could do was hit the floor and just pray, Lord, glorify, let me glorify you in everything that I do. Um, and so came out. And I went upstairs to see him. Now, when I was a young girl, he was about 6'2", 6'3", and he weighed about 280. So he was a large man. He was very intimidating. 
Um, I always remembered his hands because his hands, I thought, were the largest hands I've ever, ever seen. Um, and when I walked in, there he was. He had lost all of his weight, sitting in the bed crying uncontrollably. And um, for the first time ever, he admitted to um, me and his two daughters that he had trafficked me and that he had sexually abused me. And um, his, I think his daughters were sort of taken back and didn't know, you know what to say. And they, they stepped out of the room. Well, that left me the opportunity to, to go over to him and just say, yes, you caused all the shame. You've caused, you, you've stolen my life. You've, you know, um, but what you've stolen, the Lord has repaired. And what he's done for me, he can do for you. And in those brief minutes, I was able to share with him about the Lord and let, lead him, and he accepted Christ. Um, and I don't, I say that because my prayer is for me to never be seen and um, let the Lord be seen. So um, a couple weeks later, he passed away. Um, I have not had any contact with you know, his daughters since then. Um, they don't want anything to do with me or my family, um, which now has led me to, at first I was just sharing my story and um, letting people know that human trafficking happens here in the Tampa Bay area. It happens in the United States. It's not just a, a third wor world country. Um, so I spoke for about two years and prayed and prayed, Lord, think, uh, um, what would you have me do? What do you want me to do? Um, and so, I prayed that, um, he, and he answered me um, with, um, he wanted me to open a home. So um, it has been a very long time opening the home. And so he gave me clear direction on, on the house, which is called The Gate. And it took me a very long time to name, name the home until um, I was reading through cha Acts chapter 3, and it talks about, I believe it's Peter and, I don't know, they're another disciple. The beautiful, we're at the gate called Beautiful, and it's a beautiful picture where the two disciples are walking, and there's a beggar there, and they, he, the beggar asks for money. And the two disciples say, I don't have money, but what I have is the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you read down further, it talks about the disciple picking them up and pulling them up, and he's healed. And it's called the gate called Beautiful. Well, that's, that's the picture that I wanted us healing route to have for the ladies. We wanted to be able to stretch our hands down and pick them up and heal and help them heal, help them 
find restoration. So um, I'll talk a little bit about the house and what we've seen. Um, so of course, we can serve up to six ladies at a time. We are a long-term safe home, so they can come in for up to 18 months, and they spend time working GED, life skills, they get all of, all of their counseling, group therapy, um, individual counseling, you name it, they, they get it. Um, we have equine therapy, we have art therapy, our home is on 15 acres of property, so there's lots for them to um, to do to roam around. Um, we um Bible study, church. I mean, you it it really does um, have volunteers come in and serve the ladies. Um, Bible study. We do it all. Um, so. Um, let me see what else um, let me tell you sort of some of the things that we've seen in the last couple couple months I think the th hardest lady that we've seen we had an 18 year old girl lady come in and um, she was had a huge garbage bag and she had just came out of foster care and she had been trafficked from the age of 10 up until 17. And the reason she ended up in our home is because in foster care, you age out at 18. And so she was, in that year, um, she was homeless. So um, anyway, in that black garbage bag was a bag full of stuffed animals from every foster home that she, you know, had been to. I would say maybe 50 stuffed animals. And that trash bag was her prized possessions. She didn't have clothes, what she had on her back. She didn't have, she had one pair of shoes. It was, that was probably the hardest thing that I've, that I've seen um, one of the ladies that's in the home right now, um, I'll just, I'll call her Jay. Um, she is 33. Mother sold her into trafficking from the age of 10 up until 19. Mother was a heroin addict, addict. Dad was a heroin addict, addict. Brother was a heroin addict, and so was she. Mom sold daughter to get drugs, gave brother the heroin, and killed brother instant in front of, in front of Jay. Mother didn't, didn't do any jail time continued selling Jay. Mother now and dad both continued to use and killed themselves, leaving Jay without anybody. So she did what only thing she knew 
sexually exploited herself to get drugs. So there has, we have served several, several ladies that have come, that have drug backgrounds, that have been from, from foster care. Um, ladies that have been in the clubs that dance. Um, I don't know if you heard on the WEDU, we have more strip clubs in, in, in the Tampa Bay area than any McDonald's. I mean, that's where trafficking happens. So um, there is lots, lots going on in the Tampa Bay area um, with trafficking, people fighting against it. Um, and then there's people working and, and funding um, in the clubs and pornography and stuff like that. Um, so what I, I'd like to do for just a, a few minutes is to sort of go into prayer. Um, I feel really led to to have a time of prayer for if you've ever been sexually abused, maybe not trafficked, but sexually abused. Um, and please don't egg me for this, but pray for the traffickers. I've, I've had people get up and you know walk out because they feel like we shouldn't be praying for the traffickers, but they need to find Christ just as much as if any of if it of any of us. So, um, if we can, and I know Pastor will take take. If I don't know, do you guys use the altar yeah. to pray, or if you want to come up and just pray for the ladies that are still that are still out there, or the young boys, or or the young girls, or the men. Um, I think it, the only way, the only way that this is going to end is through Christ and us praying and, and fighting against this. So,